What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. And you have found our podcast. Thank Woo-hoo! you so much. Thanks. Now, <clears throat> gonna let you in on a little secret here, friends. We are actually recording from the future. The future. <laughs> well, so it's uh, your past and technically it's our past too. But uh, the version of Brent and Zach that you are about to listen to, they are from many years ago. Many uh, moves. Yeah, so we are currently in their future. And so, so what we've Hi done- past Zach. Hi, past Brent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they can't hear us, Zach. They, 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 Dang it. That doesn't, that's not how it works. Sorry. Uh, so we, so much has changed over the many years that we've been doing this podcast that we wanted to kind of put a bumper basically in front of some of these episodes uh, right in the early spots. This is it. You're listening to it. Uh, we wanted to kind of tell you some, a few things about us. So first and foremost, we're an independent podcast. We've stayed independent through the whole thing. You've got a whole lot of episodes to listen to. And while we make some gags about uh, advertisers at points, uh, we haven't taken a single advertiser dollar this whole time. It's just for funsies. Um, We really are having a great time doing it. And we think that uh, you honestly, I think that you're going to like listening to it if you get past the first season or two, which is like most things, honestly, right? Like it takes a little bit before you find your groove. Uh, we do have abilities or ways for people to support our show that has changed over the years. Currently we're using buy me a coffee. You can go to our website, uh, Zach will tell us about that in just a second. And hey, we say this in just about every single podcast that we've done. It's still true now. We've added a few more services. If you're liking what you're listening to and you want to tell somebody else about it, they can find us uh, in a lot of places. They can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now Spotify. Or no, we think we've had Spotify since a long time. That's from the beginning. Yeah. We also added iHeartRadio Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts. We've got a little player on our website. They can find us on podcast aggregators. We're We're in a lot of different spots. So, uh, Zach, yeah. if a person wants to get a hold of us and let us know that they've, uh, they've, they've found us and that, uh, that they're enjoying what they've got going on, how might, they, how might they reach out and let us know? Well, that's a good question, Brent. The easiest way to reach out to us is to use that old-fangled technology called email. Yeah. And go walking through the stargate at gmail.com, which yep. is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com precisely Um, as it should be exactly like that uh that has always been the case we also have a facebook page and a facebook group you can go to that uh early on we also were on twitter and so you will hear us talking about twitter uh since we started this podcast twitter has done some weird things and we have said nope that's it we're done Yep. yep so our twitter face twitter page and twitter presence has disappeared yes um since the very beginning, we added our website. We have a website, WTTS.space. Space! Uh, this is really important. This is where you're going to be able to get all of our episodes. They're all online there. Uh, you can access to... Uh, there's a Facebook link there. There's a yep. Discord link there. Yep. Uh, there's um, all sorts of things there. Discord, that's a big thing. Our community lives on Discord more yeah. than any place else. That's right. Uh, so go to our website, WTTS.space. Oh, space. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Go to our website and click on the Discord link and join us there. Uh, The other thing that's changed is uh, eventually we decided that uh, I needed a new computing device. And so we got onto the Patreons. Yeah. uh, And we did Patreon for about uh, two and a half years or so. A while, Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, but uh, we decided that that wasn't a platform that's working well for us. And so we have shifted gears to, I think you mentioned it earlier, buy me a coffee. Yep. Uh, There are different tiers and things. You can find information by going to our website, WTTS.space. Space! And then clicking on the lower right-hand corner, there's a little coffee icon. Click on that. That'll get you to that. Yep. uh, And you'll have all the information that you need there to support us if you wish on that yeah totally and i if you were actually thinking about that i would expect that you'd be thinking about that like after many episodes not the first one (laughs) yeah absolutely i you know uh the the content is all been free we don't have not kept anything behind a paywall nope uh when we had the patreon we had some things that were patreon first but all of that stuff went out onto the main feed and you'll hear that as you go along um this is just a way 
People said they wanted to support us, which flabbergasts me, no, frankly. It's fantastic. But it's awesome. Uh, and so this is how, uh, if you want, you can. Yep. That's all it is. That's, That's all it. it is. Okay. So uh, uh, thanks for listening to this bumper. Uh, I hope you enjoy uh, the episode that is to come. Yeah. Uh, and we will see you in your future. Yeah, uh, It's right. So to see it all comes back full circle. That's how it works. Absolutely. All right. Have fun. What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 lock. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. And this is episode one. And today we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's pilot episode, Children of the Gods. How you doing, Brent? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited about this. Uh, as we mentioned in episode zero, this is our first time podcasting. I've seen the show many, many times. This is a newbie thing for Brent. So as we begin today, I want to uh, start with just a few background facts about the show. And then we'll get into the synopsis and what we think about it. Yeah. Okay. Children of the Gods originally aired on July 27, 1997. Uh, It was originally on Showtime. Showtime ordered the first two seasons of SG-1 pretty much right away. And also, interestingly, this pilot episode received Showtime's highest ever rating for a series premiere. Audience was about 1.5 million households at that time. Children of the Gods was directed by Mario Azopardi. It was developed for TV by Brad Wright and Jonathan Glasner. One of the interesting things I remember in a uh, uh, commentary was that uh, Brad Wright and Jonathan Glasner both thought up the idea of taking Stargate onto the TV uh, separately, and I think it was Showtime or, or whomever the the producers were uh, over them re- know, knew that and brought them both together for it. And I don't think mm-hmm. that they knew each other ahead of time. Hmm. Um, this episode was also written by both Jonathan Glasner and Brad Wright. In 2009, after the show uh, had gone off the air, Don S. Davis, uh, who played General George Hammond, died. In memory of Davis, uh, they re-edited the version uh, of the pilot for Don S. Davis. Uh, The episode that you watched, Brent, was actually that Mm -hmm. 2009 uh, re-edit. I have uh, the DVDs, and so I was able to watch the original version of that, uh, and then uh, also watch the 2009 re-edit. A couple of uh, interesting trivia uh, Daniel Jackson's wife uh, in the feature film was Shauri. Uh, I'm not certain I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, but the interesting things for the TV show, it was changed to Share. And the reason it was changed is because Michael Shanks, who plays Dr. Jackson, couldn't pronounce Shauri correctly. And so they just changed it. Which, that yeah, there was so much about Michael Shanks' performance, which felt really true to what was done who who played the character in the movie I James Spader James Spader it felt so so true to James Spader's like personality that uh this seems I mean I completely believe it but on the same token it feels like really like he was able to emulate so much else uh, yet he couldn't say the word Shauri but uh yeah so she turned into Share yep from the movie, the only one who returned to play the same role uh, was Skara. He was in the original movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shara is played by a different actress as well as O'Neill and uh, Jackson, Kowalski, Freddy, and all of those. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, there are a couple of establishing shots of Stargate Command, which is in uh, Cheyenne Mountain uh, Air Force Base, uh, and uh, some of those establishing shots of that are actually from the real Cheyenne Mountain Base, uh, and uh, there are, will be mentions in the future that uh, NORAD is just a few floors above them, uh, so that's just kind of interesting with that. Yeah. No, when I saw that scene, I was kind of curious. Um, I think that I somehow learned that those shots were from the real uh, Air Force Base and not just some set. But on the same token, I was kind of looking at it going, like, 
if that's the real one, like how much B footage did they shoot in and around that gate? Uh, you know, for for the upcoming episodes. But uh, regardless, yes, yeah. I that uh, that was that was kind of a cool part too. As the show progresses, you will notice that they use a number of those shots over and over again. Uh, but they're you know two second shots, uh, right? That aren't such a big deal. No, it's just a picture. Uh, it's just uh, watching a car go through the gate or something. Right. All right. Well, are we ready for a synopsis? Yes. Let's get talking about this episode. Okay, so let's get start talking about it. Here is the synopsis for episode one, Children of the Gods. One year after Colonel Jack O'Neill's original mission through the Stargate to the planet Abydos, the program has been almost completely shut down. A few airmen play poker as they watch over the giant ring. Suddenly, the gate rumbles to life and a wormhole opens. The airmen quickly take up defensive positions as senior airman Carol Wetterings cautiously approaches the gate. A group of alien soldiers wearing serpentine helmets begin pouring out of the open wormhole. A firefight ensues. Klaxons go off. Wetterings is taken captive while the rest of the airmen are killed. Just before the aliens return through the Stargate, Major General George Hammond gets a good look at the leader. His eyes glow and he escapes through the wormhole, leaving a stunned general behind. Major Bert Samuels travels to the home of retired Colonel Jack O'Neill. He finds O'Neill on his roof, gazing at the stars through a telescope. Samuels has orders to bring the colonel to General Hammond's office. It's about the Stargate. O'Neill is escorted to Stargate Command in Cheyenne Mountain, where he's questioned by the general, O'Neill notices that Majors Kowalski and Ferretti, both of whom were on O'Neill's original mission through the Stargate, have also been brought in for questioning. They refuse to share any new information about the original mission with the General, who then decides to go ahead with his plan, that is, sending a nuclear bomb through the Stargate to the planet Avidos. Upon hearing this, O'Neill relents, and reveals to the general that his original report wasn't completely accurate. Ra was killed by the nuclear bomb, but the bomb went off in Ra's spaceship while it was in orbit. Dr. Daniel Jackson is alive and well, living with the people on Abydos. Hammond is furious that this information was held back, but with this new information, he decides against the bomb and allows O'Neill to send a message to Dr. Jackson. O'Neill tosses a box of Kleenex through the gate to Abydos. Dr. Jackson has allergies, and he'd know that the Kleenex box would be a message from O'Neill, and not someone like the General. After some time, the gate reopens, and the empty box is tossed through with a message. Thanks. Send more. With confirmation that Daniel Jackson is alive and well, Hammond recalls O'Neill to active duty and prepares to send a new team through the Stargate. In addition to Kowalski, Ferretti, and several airmen, General Hammond adds Captain Samantha Carter to the team. Captain Carter is an astrophysicist from the Pentagon who has been studying the Stargate since before the first mission. She is excited to finally have the opportunity to travel through the gate. The General gives them 24 hours to learn what they can and report back. When the team arrives on Abydos, they are quickly met by Abydonians with earth weapons who are guarding the gate. After a short standoff, Daniel Jackson appears, telling everyone to lower their guns. O'Neill tells Jackson about the alien with glowing eyes that attacked Earth. Jackson responds by saying that the alien didn't come from Abydos. He must have come from a different stargate. Samantha doesn't think that's possible, but Daniel has evidence and leads the group to a large cavern filled with glyphs organized in groups of seven. Adjusting for stellar drift, these glyphs prove Daniel's argument. The Stargate goes to countless planets across the Milky Way. Ferretti and several SGC personnel remained by the gate, along with a few of the Abedonians. Suddenly, the gate opens, and more of the same serpentine warriors who attacked Earth pour through the gate. A firefight ensues, Many are killed or injured. Skara and Share, Dr. Jackson's wife, are captured. The leader of the Serpent Guards, Teal'c, notices the guns used by the Abedonians. These are not Gua'uld weapons. 
he says. The serpent guards depart with their captives. Seconds later, Jack and his contingent arrive shocked by the devastation. Ferretti was injured, but he might have seen the symbols for where the invaders went. That is their only hope for finding Skara and Sharae. Jack convinces the distraught Daniel to return to Earth. On Earth, they discover the SGC has constructed an iris over the Stargate to shield them from any other unwelcome surprises. Senior Airman Wetterings is taken before Apophis, the glowing-eyed leader of the bad guys. He wonders if she might be the vessel of his queen. The queen, another snake-like being, examines Wetterings, but is not satisfied. Apophis kills Wetterings. Teal'c watches all this and is horrified, but is unable to do anything about it. With new information that the Stargate can take people to other planets, the President of the United States authorizes the formation of nine units tasked with exploring these new worlds for technology that can help them defeat the Goa'uld. Colonel O'Neill, Captain Carter, will be part of SG-1. Dr. Jackson insists that he be added to SG-1. Major Kowalski will head up SG-2. When Ferretti regains consciousness, he has indeed remembered the symbols to where Skara and Share were taken. Hammond sends SG Units 1 and 2 to check out the planet. They have 24 hours before they will be locked out permanently and unable to return home. On the planet, SG-2 sets up base camp, while SG-1 goes searching for their missing comrades. Back in Apophis's lair, Teal'c selects Sharae. Her resistance is fierce, but futile. This spirit pleases Apophis. After examining her, his queen, Amonet, is also pleased. Burrowing into her neck, the Guawuld takes possession of Sharae's body. Sharae screams in pain and Teal'c once again looks on in horror and despair. Jack, Sam, and Daniel make their way to the city Chulak, where they discover that Sharae has been taken as a host. Soon afterward, they are captured and thrown into prison, where they join up with Skara. They quickly begin looking for a way to escape. Soon Teal'c and several other serpent guards enter and begin selecting prisoners to become children of the gods. Daniel offers himself as a host, wondering how much of the host survives. He is rejected, but Skara is chosen. After those chosen have been taken away, Apophis instructs his guards to kill the rest. O'Neill calls out to Teal'c, begging him to help him. I can save these people. Help me. Teal'c responds, many have said that, but you are the first I believe could do it. Teal'c changes sides and begins shooting at his former soldiers. After successfully clearing the room of enemy soldiers, Jack and Teal'c blast a hole in the wall and usher the prisoners out toward freedom. Teal'c joins SG-1 on their way back to the Stargate. On the way, Teal'c identifies himself as a Jaffa, the warrior class of the Guawuld society. They carry a larval Guawuld in a pouch in their gut, and the larva provides them with health and long life. As they approach the gate, Apophis begins attacking in both gliders through the air and troops on the ground, but they are saved by a well-timed shot from an RPG by SG-2. When they arrive at the gate, they see Apophis and Amanet walk through the gate. Shortly afterward, Skara, now a host to a Guawuld, also escapes through the Stargate. SG-1 and 2 meet up by the gate and prepare to take the refugees through the gate back to Earth. Carter and Daniel are first through the gate, followed by the refugees, as their position is attacked by wave upon wave of Jaffa troops. Kowalski, O'Neill, and Teal'c provide cover. In the melee, one of the Jaffa troops is killed near Kowalski, and the larval Guawuld attacks the Major and enters his body. Eventually, everyone escapes through the gate and returns to Earth. General Hammond is surprised that Teal'c is there, but O'Neill vouches for him. The group begins to break up as they prepare for whatever may come next. O'Neill and Jackson lament that both Skara and Sharae have been taken as hosts. 
They are still out there. Their next task is to go and look for them. With that, they too head off. Kowalski is left alone on the ramp to the gate. His eyes glow. And that is the pilot episode. That was episode one. Yeah. No, I, uh, in watching it, like, I was definitely kind of getting that feeling of that, you know, this is a pilot episode. There was, there was an aspect of it that, um, you know, it, it felt like it had a story to tell, but there wasn't quite a, there wasn't that groove that you can expect to see when a cast works together for a while Mm -hmm. right like i i mean there's how many how many pilot episodes have i seen where it's like yeah i mean it's fine and it it definitely captures some interest but it doesn't it pales in comparison to uh future episodes so there was definitely kind of that like that sort of yeah there's a lot of pieces you know you have to introduce the gua world who are a little bit different than what you saw in the movie you've got to introduce the jaffa you've got to introduce the fact that the stargate goes to multiple places you've got to get the band back together there are so many pieces uh and this is an episode that is all about laying out all of the pieces that are there it was it was uh predictable to see uh you know, so many nods and references to the movie. And so the show came out in the summer of 97. The movie came out in the fall of 94, I believe, if I remember I right. I think so, yes. So, you know, there was a good couple, two and a half, three years uh, of difference in between those two time periods. So it would feel kind of appropriate. So unlike me, who watched the movie and then the episode within weeks of each other, um you know, having all those callbacks being like, yeah, 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 I, I, we, we saw that before. Come on, let's keep it moving. Like, yeah. hey, look, there's there's the Air Force car coming again to O'Neill's house again. Like, yep. you know, like, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I can imagine how that would feel pretty cool if you were a big fan of the movie to see all those things being hearkened again in the television show. Yep. Yep. I remember when I first saw Stargate SG-1, uh, I was in college. Uh, I had seen the original movie back in... Uh, high school, and I enjoyed it, but then set it aside, uh, and uh, uh, my friends and I were walking through a video rental store. Yes, they had those back in the late 90s. <laughs> um, and uh, they actually had Stargate SG-1 pilot um, on the shelf, and we picked that and we took huh. it home. Um, and uh, I didn't really know what to expect, and I didn't even realize at that point in time that it was a pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, a say, oh, I remember that movie, and here's another movie. It sounds fun. Let's do that. Sure. Um, and uh, I, as I recall, that, that I enjoyed all of the callbacks there because it had been some time and whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was kind of fun there. Yeah. No, I, I definitely was starting to kind of get into the groove by the time the episode was wrapping up. Mm-hmm. Like the little, the little ending battle. It was. It's so just like canned action television but you know even still i was a little like you know like yeah that 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 shot that rpg shot that uh that kowalski did to down that enemy fighter that was that was cool and it was cool and then uh you know the 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 well-defended retreat back into the stargate and the onslaught of the enemy that was rushing them you know i mean i was i was definitely kind of like jamming on it there towards and there the was end that there. refugee that big burly guy who picks up oh the yeah rock and chucks the rock and yeah <laughs> knocks out one of the jaffa uh-huh. soldiers uh, yeah, that I was by the way expecting, uh, was yeah. uh, that that scene was added for the 2009 version. That was oh, was it? Uh, I mean, you oh, see I that see. guy there, but you don't see all of that what he does uh, in in the original pilot. I mean, he was he was a participant. You know, he was shown so frequently that I was half expecting him to like take a bullet for the team at the end. Mm. Like, I actually wasn't expecting him to get through the gate, and he survives. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Like it was, it was just this moment where I was looking at it, going like, "Is he the red shirt in this scenario? Is he going to be the one whose life is sacrificed?" Yeah. Uh, another thing that I really liked about it was, um, and this is going to sound kind of uh, a little strange. I liked uh, the practical effects that they had to employ in the absence of uh, the uh, animated or uh, otherwise special effects that were part of the movie. Um, so last time we were talking about how I the the helmet animation uh appeared uh 
a little dated uh, when I'm looking at it now, but I was looking at it thinking, you know, I wonder if it actually is animated as opposed to a computer graphics, but it definitely wasn't a practical effect. But in the show, the helmets of those dudes, um, oh, there was big difference, right? So these guys were the serpent guys. The other guys were the dog guys. So I guess that's technically a different helmet. Yeah, but it's still the same idea. Yeah. Um, and this one was a much more practical effect. I mean, it basically was a helmet that had a button that went ka and it opened yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the, the ka part. And then, <laughs> and then watching the actors, like, like crane their heads above the like you know yeah. the bottom piece so that you can kind of see their mouth right like yeah. it didn't really get out of the way yeah but it was charming and i liked it because like i'm a fan for practical effects i like those things better than special effects sometimes um yeah i always so thought it was nice. that that uh when they had the helmets up that you had a whole bunch of actors who were trying to walk in a straight line without yeah. being able to see squat <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and look like they could see normal. <laughs> right. Uh, I wonder how many scenes hit the cutting room floor with somebody bonking their head on a door frame, for uh, example. Yeah. But uh, Yeah, so, and then, let's see here. Oh, right. Then there was, then there was like the pacing of, of the story. Right. Which... I seem to recall a conversation that I had heard a little while ago about how uh, television stories these days have a pacing that is just so much faster than what they used to be. And I think that the conversation I was listening to had to do with Star Trek and specifically the original series and how slowly everything moved, especially compared to uh, stories being told today. And granted, I mean, this wasn't forever ago. It's, you know, it's also 20 years ago, 21 years ago, but... Uh, even that said, like it felt, it felt like I could look away and pay attention to something else and not miss a whole lot. Hmm. Like I, I, it wasn't like some other storytelling moments where every single tiny detail matters. Now I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know if like it felt like I could look away, but I really couldn't. Um, like if there was subtle clues popped in there. So you know, as an example of like a potential thing. Um, I thought it was peculiar that the planet they were on was this ancient Grecian facade, like place. Like the, they were walking up to like uh, si- the, whatever the city was that they were Chulak. walking up to in it, Chulak, and it had that like Parthenon building. Yeah. You know. At first, I was like, "Hey, look, that's a great map painting, hooray!" And then I was like, "Oh, but it's ancient Greece." And then I was saying, "Oh." Uh, is this about to be a story that ties in all these ancient mythologies in this uh, in this context of alien cre- or, uh, of alien uh, civilizations, which would be really cool? And maybe that is exactly where it goes. But at, you know, but it, within the construct of the pilot, all that happened was that I saw some Greek buildings, and then uh, there was a dinner, and it didn't really kind of it was not particularly obvious what the culture that was represented was there or not. And then the aliens walk in, and uh, you know they still have that ancient Egyptian vibe, and then of course the real story then kind of keeps moving, which is like the whole abduction right. aspect and the right. imprisonment aspect. I always thought that particular scene when they enter the town and they kind of go into this, you know, like you mentioned, this kind of a Greek type environment, and and they're eating, and then all of a sudden Apophis and Amonet walk in. Uh, I always thought that that's that was a little bit odd because. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're with Apophis and uh, Egyptian gods and all of this stuff, and I always thought that didn't look quite right for Egyptian experiences. Right. Um, so I, I totally get what you're saying there. Um, I won't answer your question as to whether or not uh, uh, other cultures sure. and like are, are brought in. You'll well, have I mean, to wait you know, and find either out. way. Yeah, right. You know, either e- either way I think that I can see you know, there's obviously the potential to tell some really rad stories about our own like it to retell our own stories with this new twist. That would be cool. If all it was was just a set, then that would be a little bit more disappointing, but you know what? Like I, television shows make those kinds of decisions all the time. Like, you know, so I'm I'm willing to to roll with it and to see what's going on. Now, Speaking of set choices and et cetera, I gotta tell you, the the, um, the refugees, the attire that the refugees were wearing, like I, 
I couldn't I couldn't get over what they were wearing. I mean, it reminded me a lot of like the alien costumes that would be found on like Star Trek sets, like next generation Star Trek uh, sets and that it's, you know, and that it's futuristic, but it's also kind of like, you know, it definitely looks a little dated now that you're looking at it. Um, but I could not stop thinking about like, like a bad pajama party inside <laughs> my head. Like every time I was looking at these guys, I'm just like, you know, oh, those, those are, some, those look like some pretty uncomfortable PJs there, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, again, yeah. I get it. It's it's a television show. Now, when they ordered, so when Showtime ordered the series, though, they ordered. You said they ordered forty four episodes, right? They ordered the first two seasons, which total total forty four episodes. So this is not exactly a pilot in the same sense that several other series' pilots were, where like it was basically like this is it. This is your first and only shot until we are convinced that there's going to be something here. Uh, here's your very limited budget. You know, it might not be as limited as the budget you're going to have to work through if we actually greenlight the series, but, uh, you know, this is it, and do your best. Uh, You know, I don't know exactly what was ordered right away. Um, I I do know that that, uh, that second season was not ordered immediately, so it wasn't like right Mm. out of the gate they ordered two years. Um, gotcha. But it didn't take more than an episode or two episodes, uh, you know, two or three episodes, whatever it was. It was very, very early on. We're like, oh, we've yeah. got something here. Let's order some more of it. Um, well, that was the largest market share for a premiere that they had right. to date, right? Is yeah. That what you said? Yeah. yeah. And so they, they jumped on that and, and ran with it. Uh, it was with uh, Showtime... I think for like five seasons, um, mm-hmm. and then they had an agreement where about six months after it was on Showtime, it would go to syndication, uh, and then after about four or five seasons, whatever that was, um, Showtime said this isn't going to draw any new subscribers, so they cut it loose, and then I think Sci-Fi picked it up, um, yeah, and uh, uh, then it ran on Sci-Fi until it, it, it ended. Hmm. Now... Shifting gears a little bit into the actors. Yeah. Richard Dean Anderson definitely brought his star power to it. Yes, he did. Like, like I think that like having him play the role that Kurt Russell started didn't make for too jarring of a shift. Uh, like, Kurt Russell's portrayal of Colonel O'Neill felt very similar to how Richard Dean Anderson, like, plays characters. Like, that just felt kind of like a natural connection Mm -hmm. but one thing that i did notice at least it stood out was how closely and i mentioned this before how closely michael shanks was trying to emulate james spader yes like that mannerisms that like the mannerisms that we now know are james spader's mannerisms like that's just how he is and that was a piece of the character uh that he brought and then Michael Shanks is emulating this thing. It was really evident, but it was also kind of evident that Richard Dean Anderson was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my thing. Like, yeah. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be me." Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Richard Dean Anderson, I think I mentioned this at some point in time in the past, uh, is really, really good at playing himself. Yeah. Uh, if you know, I mean, if you watch MacGyver and you watch uh, Stargate SG One. Uh, and you look at Richard Dean Anderson, and although MacGyver didn't use guns, and of course Colonel O'Neill will use guns all over the place, uh, mm-hmm. it, it it's still very much the same character. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's really good at playing himself. Um, and uh, so when when he went on here, you know, he certainly brought a lot of star power to it. And he also tweaked... Uh, I thought it, it, it was a good... Uh, shift from Kurt Russell to Anderson, um, uh, but he also tweaked the character a little bit to be who mm-hmm. he was going to be. Seems like he stopped smoking too. Yeah, he did stop smoking. <laughs> <laughs> good for him. That was a good health yep. choice there. Oh yeah. Well, you know it. It helps. It, it's good. Now, I didn't know that I was watching a basically a recut. So you had told me that um, you and I chatted a bit. Uh, what was it last night night before Uh, and that's when I realized that I was watching a recut but uh, and also I think that I caught some 
spoilerish things when I noticed when I was looking at the Wikipedia page for this thing. But I actually truly don't know an awful lot about the differences between the two versions. Now, is there something about it that I probably should know, or is there just some fun elements that like you can tell me and I'll be like, oh, that's cool or whatever? Yeah. Well, uh, the the main story in the original pilot and the recut are basically the same. Uh, there are a couple of things that are changed, and we can talk about those in just a little bit. Um, uh, one, uh, one that I'm really bummed that they changed, because uh, it was just a nice little callback. Um, shortly after they arrive on Abydos, and Captain Carter sees uh, the the device that, that uh, it will eventually be called the DHD, or the Dial Home Device, uh, mm-hmm. It's the, the big kind of round thing that has the buttons that you can start the Stargate on. Uh, turn the, Oh, yeah. You know, okay. uh, and she sees it, and she's like, oh, this is what was missing at the dig in, in Giza. And, and, and she talks about, in, in the original, it took us such and such a time to MacGyver a system that would work. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and, and <laughs> in the recut, it was dubbed over to jerry-rigged. And I'm like, oh. Come on. Oh, interesting. You know, oh, interesting. So uh, another thing that I actually thought worked better in uh, the recut than in the original, uh, although you do lose a couple of pieces as a result of this, is that in what you watched, uh, they capture the the airman Wetterlings at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at some point in time, she is brought before Apophis and Amanet. Right. Uh, right. As I told in my recap, as it is in the original uh, uh, pilot, uh, that happens after Sharae has already been captured. So mm-hmm. they capture both of them. If you recall from from the recut, though, uh, that actually she's actually shown to Apophis before they go looking for. Right. Uh, and I actually liked that better when I watched that. Um, it gave the a greater the recut because it gave mm-hmm. it a little bit more purpose as to why uh, uh, a what what Apophis is doing and why he might uh, be heading to uh, Abydos. Uh, yeah. it, it it's a little Deus ex machina that he shows up there uh, at just that time. Otherwise, for no apparent reason. Sure. Uh, sure. I mean, I kind of presumed that, you know, maybe it was because he realized that the gate had been activated. And so he's like, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, but then, like, you know, snatching people and taking him away because the timing of it was after uh, Wetterlings had been examined and um, deemed uh, insufficient. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there was a little bit of motivation of like, oh, and so now they're capturing this other person because they're still on the lookout for somebody to take over the wife ship. Right. Um, another change, uh, I mean, as I mentioned, the original pilot was shown on Showtime, and uh, Showtime was allowed to show more skin than uh, standard television. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so when Sharae was brought before Apophis in the original, uh, and she was stripped naked, uh, you got to see full frontal nudity. Um, oh, so, uh, you know, it's not that big a deal. There it is. Um, right. You know, and once she's put on the table, basically it's done. Uh, obviously, they cut that uh, hmm. for when for the recut, and uh, I'm fine with that. It 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 didn't add anything to the original. Uh, it was simply Showtime being Showtime, and yeah. they never try anything like that again the rest of the series even while it's so on showtime uh, well it, it, like so i i guess a person uh, you know a producer would make that decision to try to get a specific kind of audience to watch it right so in that case it's a bunch of adults they're presuming that it's going to be a bunch of adults maybe young adults but still adults watching the show yeah and so they purposely position it like that like you know it's a little like where they'll like script writers will purposefully like throw in too many curse words into a thing just to get an R rating, but in doing so, they control the audience that is going to be in the theater watching it. Right. That's interesting. Um, So, you know, cutting that for... Obviously, that was cut for uh, the syndicated versions and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and cutting that in the in the recut was was uh, perfectly fine with me. Uh, another thing that they changed uh, in uh, the recut, uh, you know, when they go to Chulak, they're given 24 hours, and if they don't get back in 24 hours, their uh, signals will get cut, and they won't be able to get through the iris and got right. all of that stuff. Right. Um, and of course, in the recut, they they cut that pretty close. But mm-hmm. they get in there without much difficulty. In the original, they actually do. Uh, it is cut and, and shot and such, or edited in such a way that uh, um, uh, their twenty-four hours does expire, and it's like in the twenty-fifth hour uh, hmm. that uh, they finally open the gate, and and uh, just as Hammond is about to say, "Okay, go and seal everything off and shut everything down," all of a sudden the gate pops up, and and yeah. and the klaxons go off, and it's like, "Play my order," and blah blah blah, all of that stuff, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, you know everything. Interesting. Uh, that that was some false tension, and something that didn't really make a whole lot of sense in the original. Sure. Um, uh, and so that was uh, cut, uh, and I'm fine with that. I kind of like that one. Uh, the big, one, big, big difference, uh, and one I'm not too thrilled that they made, has to do with the ending, uh, which I mentioned in uh, the, the the synopsis about Kowalski. Uh, Kowalski, right. you know, uh, they're fighting Jaffa are falling left and right all around of them. Uh, one of them is killed right near Kowalski, and the larval Guawuld in his gut uh, sneaks out of the pouch and attacks Kowalski and uh, infests him, and he becomes a host. Uh-huh. And uh, and then um, as they, you know. The, the the show ends the episode ends with a, a close up on on Kowalski and his eyes begin to glow in Stargate um and uh now did i did i just miss that did, was that glowy eye thing a part of the recut or no no they cut okay. all of that yeah so I, that's what i thought um you know so you know and as i was watching the recut i'm like okay Oh, so so there's a little bit of an expanded scene about how that Jaffa gets killed. Okay, that's great. Hey, wait a second. Where's the snake? Wait. Right. Oh, they cut that about Kowalski. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, are they going to make his eyes glow at the end? And they didn't. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I I had caught a couple of those pictures on the wiki uh, synopsis page. And that was a thing that I was kind of realizing, oh, this is kind of a big deal. And so... That was a little spoilery thing that I that I had seen ahead of time. Yeah, I wonder if they're gonna like do it proper justice in the next episode. Well, the next episode is called "The Enemy Within," and that's all I'll say. Well, then I think we know where that's going. Yeah. So I think what ended up happening is when they did the recut, they were recutting it with the the idea that Children of the Gods could be a standalone event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have a standalone event, cutting that out makes actually a lot of sense. Right, yeah. Uh, because, I mean, Button the whole that idea that Share and Scar are both still out there, and, well, we've got to go and find them, blah, you know. Okay, right. th- that's a nice place to end a story. But if you have, sure. uh, you know, the leader of SG2 with glowing eyes, um, right. as a standalone event, that doesn't... Uh, doesn't work very well so but again like it's such an interesting choice to make because the episode had already aired 20 years prior like they knew they were going to be uh airing several episodes or at least they were trying to create interest in several more episodes so leaving it on a cliffhanger where one of the people is actually a bad guy that's great that's classic that's like totally like tune in next time when we discover that kowalski is secretly a bad guy like it, that's wonderful. So then, why twenty years later do you try to recut the thing to be a you know a made for TV movie? Uh, well, maybe that's exactly why. Maybe, maybe, maybe because they want to make it a made be, for to TV. To be fair, movie. Yeah. to be fair, it wasn't twenty years. It was only twelve. But twelve, fine. But you're, you're you say twenty, I say twelve, whatever. No, yes, no, but you still. were saying twenty, I was saying. 12. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the the. The, the building blocks, the pieces of this pilot and um, 
how they were used and you know what do you think of of the Jaffa what do you think of the Guawuld this is your introduction sure. to the Guawuld so uh having an alien using a human as a host uh feels a little bit like a trope but that's okay this is a trope that I'm very familiar with and I'm happy to go with it one more time um you know uh no it's not just the gut bursting scene out of alien but like i i i'm confident that we've seen this storyline in star trek before like you know it's a great one like it's the person looks one way but they really are somebody different and there's Mm -hmm. this completely reasonable reason uh why that's the case um uh the jaffa like this is where if where i'm coming coming back to like this feels like a pilot there's an awful lot of stuff that gets set up and so they do that thing where they briefly mention what's happening and they do it in a quasi conversational manner, but it's, you know, very evident that these details are details that I'm supposed to remember as a person watching the show. And that's fine. They're educating me on this little culture that they're creating, but there isn't an awful lot of stuff or there's not a lot of meat on that bone, right? Like the Jafar, the, are the um, incubators for these, uh, for the, for the Gulu, and, you know, I have uh, I have I have had twenty seven hundred uh, adolescent uh, guauld inside me over my time. Um, like you know, that's okay. That's great. Okay, so he's experienced in this, so he's establishing himself as a character that has a lot of knowledge with this stuff. So oh, as time goes on, he's going to be the one that they talk to about. Well, tell us more about blah. And, you know, I, I get it. I mean, they're setting up the characters in these in these spots. Um, but as such, like I really haven't yet gotten my hooks into the story mm-hmm. yet. Right, like it's the 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 scene has been set. Uh, the lighting is on. the The music has swelled. I am now in a position where I can feel myself falling into a story, but I haven't done it yet. Right, episode one hasn't really gotten me into the story. Episode one has just set the scene. Right, right. Um, in some ways, it reminds me of the Stargate Voyager pilot. Um, mm-hmm. Which I don't know the exact date of that, but it would have been right about the same time. Yeah, it would have been. Uh, they would have been pretty close to that. Um, where where that's all about setting up the story, and you don't really start to get into the actual story until right um, afterwards. Right. Um, but uh, the show lasts for ten seasons, so surely something good happens. Something. <laughs> Something happens, and then maybe it happens like six times over. And but no, I mean, I really am looking forward to it. I'm uh, really enjoying the ability to watch this and then talk about it because um, I think I might have seen the pilot once before, maybe. Hmm. But this is one of those moments where there was an awful lot going on, and I'm like, I think I remember seeing this before, but who knows when it was? And obviously, it wasn't within a construct that made it stick. Sure. Um, because like you know too much about it i didn't remember if if indeed i did watch it and so uh this is this feels better this is like a little like uh like watching a classic film in film school or in a film class and then having the chance to dissect it me like okay why is this this way and that and etc it's much more engaging yeah so i'm looking forward to this this is gonna be great Good. good so uh, I think we're getting to just about the end of things, so I need to mm-hmm. ask you, uh, what would you rate this? Now, in episode uh, yes. zero, we talked about uh, uh, five Naquitas. That was kind of boring. Kind of fun, yes. but boring. Uh, so I'm going to yes. change things up a little bit and say uh, okay. there are seven uh, chevrons that are lit up when the gate is uh-huh. activated. So out of seven chevrons... Seven chevrons. Uh, seven chevrons. <laughs> How many chevrons would you give All right. children of the gods? All right. By itself, if there was nothing else coming after this, if this was the only conversation we were ever going to have about Stargate for the rest of our lives, I would give it two chevrons out of seven. Okay. An abysmal score. Now, within the construct of the promise of more understanding that we're actually going to have lots of episodes to be talking about and recognizing that so many of those boring things are actually setting things up for later, I'm going to give it a semi-optimistic four out of seven chevrons. So kind of right in the middle. Yes. Uh, I'm going to try to look at this as, um, you know, is this an episode that, uh, that I would recommend to a friend to watch to get into the show 
Uh, is this something that uh, if I saw this on TV as I was flipping through channels, would I stop and watch it? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of uh, where I'm going to come from. And uh, I would say that I'd probably give this, yeah, probably somewhere in the middle. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to give it four chevrons, four out of uh-huh. seven chevrons. So just just a smidge over uh, half. Uh, yeah. I think it's a good story. Uh, I don't think it's a great story. Uh, I have always thought that Teal'c's turnaround in this episode is really fast. Yeah, they were really trying to oversell it by having his lip quiver a little too frequently. And it's like... You know, all right, fine. I'll I'll drink the Kool Aid and say, okay, he reached his breaking point. But yeah, like he went from being totally like I'm totally doing these guys' will to time to time to slaughter. Right, like that was a really fast turnaround. Recognizing that they're trying to set up a show where he's going to be a main character uh, yeah. as a good guy. Uh, okay, like you said, I'll drink the Kool Aid. Um, but I've always thought that that was a fast turnaround. Uh, but yeah, I'll give it uh, four chevrons. Nice. So, uh, do you have any uh, parting comments or thoughts about this? Um, happy to have happy to have had the experience. I'm ready for the next one. Uh, I, I I could just feel it in my bones that this might be one of those things where I might watch the pilot again, but only in that capacity of let's watch that pilot back when things were kind of clunky and they didn't really have their pacing right, like. <laughs> I, it might be that, but like you know, again, I'm excited for the story overall, yeah. like the big picture story. It was nice for me to be able to watch the original cut and the recut basically mm. back to back. Um, yeah. uh, there are a lot of things that just subtle things that were different that that highlighted things. Teal'c's journey is a little bit different, and I'm not certain which one I like better. As he goes from "I'm totally a bad guy" to "Yeah, I'm going to be a good guy." Um, it, you know that quivering lip is just a little bit different in both <laughs> in both cuts. Uh, I'm not certain which one I like better, if either. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, but it was fun to do that. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. Good. So the next episode awesome. is the enemy within, and we will find mm-hmm. out next time uh, what that is all about. I'm looking forward to it. Great, me too. So, uh, once again, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll be a a repeat uh, listener on your podcast feed here and uh, as we keep exploring uh, Star Trek together. Star Trek? Star Trek. This is not Star Trek. No. Let's uh, let's do Stargate instead. How about we do Stargate SG-1? Stargate SG-1. That sounds good. All right. Let's do that one. Thanks again, everybody. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. 